For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Brian. Welcome back to the Optimal Living 101 Masterclass Series. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting about Optimal Business 101, how to create a great business and get paid to change the world. This has been one of the most requested classes, and I've been looking forward to uh, sharing my favorite ideas, and here we are. So my intention with this class is to support everyone from an aspiring entrepreneur to a solopreneur or a small business owner, all the way up to a leader in an organization of any size. And to do that, as always, I'm going to share my top 10 favorite big ideas. But before we jump in with an introduction to those 10 ideas, I want to share a little bit more about my personal background. I don't often talk about my story, but I think in this context, it's appropriate. And I want to share how I uh, gained some wisdom in the process of growing these gray whiskers. So let's start with that. All right, so here's my quick story. Over the last 20 years, I've spent half of that time as a founder and CEO. I've raised over $10 million. I've built and sold two internet businesses. And the other half of the time as a philosopher, a lover of wisdom, reading, writing, and teaching, and immersing myself in the ideas we talk about in all the other classes. So as a kid, I was never that guy who dreamed of building a business when I was older. I never bought a pizza and then sold it by the slice for a profit or read about the stock market or any of that stuff. I kind of stumbled into business and realized that it's a really effective way to do cool stuff. We'll get to more of that in a moment. Uh, but we'll go through my college education, all that kind of stuff, and, and walk you through some of the steps in my journey. I was raised in a blue-collar family. My father worked in a grocery store for 38 years, first-generation college student, studied psychology at UCLA, thought I'd get my PhD, realized that wasn't quite it, got recruited into Arthur Anderson, wound up getting a minor in business, and I worked in four different service lines at Arthur Anderson back in the day, audit and tax and financial planning and consulting, none of which were particularly interesting to me. A uh, whole nother conversation. And then I went to law school thinking that would be my escape from that and get a stamp saying I'm a smart guy and go out and make my six figures. I knew that wasn't it. Dropped out of law school. And the only thing I knew I wanted to do when I dropped out of law school at 22, whatever it was, 23 years old, moved back in with my mom and I coached a Little League baseball team. That was the only thing I could imagine doing that would give me some joy at that time in my life. Long story a little shorter, I wound up seeing, this is 1997, 98, that in a matter of time, every single team in league in the world, Little League baseball teams, AOSO soccer teams, Pop Warner football, et cetera, would be online using the web for everything. Wound up cracking open my 401k piggy banks of $5,000. My co-founder of our first business, Genius Technologist, did the same. We created a business that was focused on helping these teams and leagues come online. We gave them schedules and standings and pictures. Grandma and Grandpa could check out, that sort of thing. We wound up winning the business plan competition at UCLA's Anderson School. We raised $5 million, hired an eventual winner of The Apprentice, the CEO of Adidas, we hired to replace me as the CEO of our business as a 25-year-old entrepreneur. And I call that my $5 million MBA. 
I learned a ton. And then the market crashed in 2000, right after we brought on the CEO of Adidas to take us to the next level. So we wound up bringing in an investment bank and selling our business to one of our two competitors who had raised $50 million to our $5 million. So $5 million MBA check. I went to that organization and uh, thought I'd be there for a while. That lasted about six months, set the strategy. And then I spent a couple of years reading, writing, and thinking. I traveled a little bit. I studied Jesus in Jerusalem and Marcus Aurelius in the Danube of Hungary where he studied, he wrote meditations. Socrates in Athens, literally the port of Piraeus. I was reading the Apology as I was heading out to the islands. And then Rumi in Konya, Turkey. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And uh, then I needed to make some money again and I wanted to create again. And I created my second business. And at the time, MySpace was big. This is before Facebook. Um, and what I created was a social platform all about helping people change the world. So connecting people who are passionate about making a difference in the world. We wound up raising $3 million for that business from a billionaire and his family. John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, became a friend and mentor and investor. So after selling my business to Gaia, I decided to give myself a PhD in how to live in optimal living. There wasn't a program out there that integrated everything I wanted to study from the old school philosophy and spirituality to the modern day positive psychology and the science of happiness and everything in between. So I decided to give myself my own PhD. In my master's project in route to that PhD, I basically spent two years distilling a hundred of my favorite books into what I called philosopher's notes, six page PDFs, 20 minute MP3s, distillations of the best big ideas from the best books out there. It took me two years, spent a year in Bali doing that. And uh, as part of that, not only did I have to distill these hundred books, I had to create a profitable business sharing that wisdom, demonstrating that I could get paid to do what I love to do in service to the world which is obviously gonna be an important theme of our class today. And from there, my dissertation was Optimal Living 101, the original class and a book that I wrote and uh, did all of that. Then I started creating some new philosopher's notes and I had breakfast with one of my favorite uh, authors, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the great book, The War of Art. If you haven't checked that out yet, check it out. One of my favorites. We talked about it a lot in Creativity 101 in our last class. Anyway, Stephen Pressfield and I are having breakfast and we're talking about classic Greek virtue, arete and all this stuff. He's an honorary citizen of Sparta. How cool is that? <laughs> he wrote a great book called The Gates of Fire about that. Anyway, he asked me if I ever considered creating a modern day Plato's Academy. And I thought that was the coolest idea ever, a modern day Plato's Academy. Choir of Angels moment, went home, bought a URL that night and started working on what I thought would be the vision of a modern day Plato's Academy. I've shared this story in other uh, discussions and notes. I'm not gonna go into detail here, but basically I raised $2 million to finance a vision to create that academy. We recruited hundreds of professors, teachers to share their wisdom in it, did a bunch of other things. And I realized after a couple of years and those $2 million of raised that I got the question wrong and that I wasn't here to be an administrator the business was kind of sort of working, but not quite the way we wanted to. And I was kind of sort of on purpose, but not quite on purpose. Long story short, we cut the business from a million dollars plus of revenue down to zero. 
and uh, rebooted with me focused on teaching and doing the work that I'm now doing. We'll talk about some of the wisdom gained from that tough decision and the other pivots that I made in my prior two businesses. That is a somewhat meandering look at how I earned some of these gray whiskers. I'm excited to uh, tap into that wisdom in the context of these 10 big ideas. So let's take a quick look at these top 10 big ideas for Optimal Business 101, then we'll drill in deeply. All right, so our top 10 big ideas on Optimal Business 101, how to create a great business and make money changing the world. Number one, optimal capitalism. We need to look at the framework in which we're going to operate as we create an optimal business. John Mackey, Raj Sisodia wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. John Mackey has been one of my deepest inspirations, CEO of Whole Foods. We're going to talk about him and his impact and wisdom many times throughout this class. Uh, we have four different qualities of a conscious business, an optimal business that we're going to talk about. They're purpose-driven, they're multiple stakeholder-oriented, they have conscious leadership, and they have conscious culture. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. The second big idea is the fact that your number one asset your number one asset in your business is you, period. You are your company's greatest asset. Therefore, if you want to grow the value of your business, you need to grow the value of who you are as a human being. Everything we talk about in all the other classes comes into play here in Optimal Business 101. The third big idea is purpose plus mission. The number one hallmark of a conscious, optimal business is that they're purpose-driven. They have a purpose bigger than just making money. Now, of course, a business needs to make money. But we want to remember that profit to a business is like red blood cells to your body. You need it to live, but you don't live for it. We're going to unpack that some more. I think every single business has the exact same purpose, to make the world a better place. If your business isn't making the world a better place, then uh, we're going to check in on that. Then we're going to look at your mission. What are you here to do? We're going to tap into some of the wisdom from Purpose 101. What do you love to do? What are you great at? And what does the world need? We need to find the nexus point of those three things, Jim Collins tells us, in Good to Great and Built to Last and Great by Choice. Fourth big idea is future casting. 10x plus moonshots plus high-hanging fruit. When you're clear on your purpose and mission, then you want to dream big. You want to see the future. Science says this is the most important quality in creating hope in your life and in leading a team. We'll talk about the correlation between hope and leadership. It's crazy. And then you want to have 10x thinking. Go for a moonshot. Go for high-hanging fruit. It's more complex and more challenging, but paradoxically, in many ways, easier to get than the low-hanging fruit, which everyone else is going for. We're going to talk about the importance of making a moonshot and not also going for a Mars landing in a Venus roving probe, which is what we did in the last iteration of our business. Fifth big idea. Once you've got that future casted, you want to climb whoop ladders. You want to juxtapose that vision with reality and see that it's going to be challenging, then figure out how you're going to take the next baby step and the next baby step. Line up your dominoes, create the ladder, and execute your proximal goals. We'll unpack that. The sixth big idea is astonish spice. One of the key ideas of the conscious capitalism movement is the multiple stakeholder model. They have an acronym, SPICE. Society, partners, investors, customers, employees. We want to astonish 
The word astonish literally means to strike with lightning. That's what we want to do, astonish. The seventh big idea, ready, fire, aim. When I interviewed John Mackey, he inspired me with this idea. As a recovering perfectionist, I was ready, 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 ready. I got to get the whole plan all perfectly laid out before I do anything. And his big thing was, no, ready, fire, aim. And then when I interviewed him a couple years ago, I laughed about how, how impactful this was. And then he said, you know what? I actually believe in fire, ready, aim. Even more than I believe in ready, fire, aim. We're going to talk about the importance of a minimum viable product. When you figure out your next goal, get to that goal and that milestone as fast as you can. Lean startup style. You cannot think your way to clarity. The eighth big idea, plan B plus C plus D plus E. Plan B. If you're like me, you think that plan A should work. Well, plan A almost never works. The greatest investors know this and they invest in grit way more than they invest in a plan. Of course, we want to execute as well as we can, but we also need to know that pivots are part of the process. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Paulo Coelho's idea of wearing your scars like medals. You got to know it's going to be challenging. Be willing to pivot. And I'll talk about some of my pivots and uh, most influential lessons learned in that process. The ninth big idea is attention plus your number one deep work project. In a world in which we're constantly blowing our consciousness up with all kinds of stimuli, we have an opportunity to differentiate ourselves by preserving our attention. If you are your company's number one asset, which you are, your attention is your number one asset within that asset. You want to cultivate it. Do more deep work, get clear on what needs to get done today and do it consistently. We're going to talk about that in more depth. And then the 10th big idea is grit plus your hero's journey. Grit. Scientists tell us it equals intense passion plus intense persistence. That's the essence of grit. You need to intensely be passionate about what it is you want to create and know that you need to have intense persistence to do it. Sounds a heck of a lot like a hero's journey. Ultimately, that's what entrepreneurialism is. The word entrepreneur comes from the root, one who takes risk. You need to be willing to stretch yourself. Put yourself on the hero's journey and the world needs you to do that. Grit plus your hero's journey. Those are our 10 big ideas. Let's jump in now. All right, so our first big idea is optimal capitalism. If we want to create an optimal business, we need to understand on a theoretical level and an energetic level, the system in which we're operating. Personally, I used to have some ambivalence about business vis-a-vis -vis spirituality. I couldn't quite see how they could be integrated. And one of the most transformative moments for me in that process was almost a dozen years ago when I was running my last business, Zods, and I happened to read a blog post by John Mackey detailing his debate. It was actually a debate between John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, and Milton Friedman and another CEO. But Milton Friedman, as you may know, is one of the intellectual godfathers of the free market capitalism movement. Now, John Mackey is a huge fan and student of Milton Friedman. Anyone who's into business is going to benefit from learning about Milton Friedman's ideas on free markets. But John challenged him. Milton Friedman said that the ultimate purpose of business is to make shareholders money. And it was that idea that always kind of turned me off. I'm like, there's got to be more to business than that. And when I raised $5 million in my first business, I had a mentor who literally said exactly that, that the reason a business exists is to make shareholders money. And everything you do is basically to achieve that end. And it never really resonated with me. 
And then I was reading John Mackey's debate in Reason Magazine. You can find it. Google Reason Magazine, John Mackey, Milton Friedman. I highly recommend you read it if you're interested in this stuff. So anyway, John is basically debating Milton Friedman and telling him that the essence that makes business really work is love. It gets me, I, I literally got misty and started crying when I read his, his articulation of it. And he proved through his data and through his own experience that by leading with love, he created a more successful business. And then I wound up getting to know John. We'll talk about some stories in that um, context as well. But that was a really transformative moment for me where it literally opened my heart and my mind to the possibility of someone who could create a business that scaled that much grounded in a purpose beyond just maximizing shareholder value. So with that prelude, we come to John's book, Conscious Capitalism. So after uh, that introduction to John's blog post, I wound up meeting him. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time together. And then I got involved in the conscious capitalism movement for the last decade or so, which started at John's ranch and now has grown into something truly extraordinary. Check that out at ConsciousCapitalism.com and get involved if you're feeling it. But John wrote a book with Raj Sisodia called Conscious Capitalism, in which he articulates the four primary distinctions of a conscious business vis-a-vis -a, -vis a business that is not operating at a higher level of consciousness. I want to walk through those four elements now, and then we'll touch on them in different ideas throughout the class. So the first aspect of a conscious business, an optimal business, is that they are purpose-driven. John makes the point that in any other profession, if you go to like professional school or graduate school in medicine, what's your purpose? It's not to make money. Your purpose is to heal people. Of course, you're going to make money and that's an that's a exciting part of it. But your real drive and the purpose of the field, at the very least, is to heal people. You go into law, what's the purpose of law? To create justice. But too often we look at business and the purpose of business is to make money. And John says, really? The best businesses have a purpose beyond making money. They want to make a difference in the world. So we're going to talk about that more as we go through. That's the first quality. The second quality, and I'll, I'll say again, I'm not saying that profit isn't important. Profit is absolutely essential to creating a successful business. We have a moral obligation as entrepreneurs and leaders of our businesses to make money, period. But that's not the ultimate end. That's a means to the end of doing great stuff. As I said, it's like red blood cells to our business. We need it to live, but we don't live for it. We live for something bigger than our red blood cells, right? So our first quality is purpose-driven. The second one is that they have a multiple stakeholder orientation. So the, the stakeholder that's usually emphasized in a normal business is the, the shareholder, the investor. They're the ones that are looked at as the primary and often the only stakeholder that really ultimately matters. And everything else is kind of a way to make them money, right? Conscious capitalism challenges that and says, no, 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 no. You want to have a multiple stakeholder model. And they break it down in a handy dandy little acronym, SPICE. Society is one of your stakeholders. Your partners are a stakeholder, P. I is for investors, very important. C is for your customers. And E is for your employees. Each of those stakeholders needs to be optimized. And another idea we're going to say, we want to astonish each of those stakeholders. But that's exciting. When you build a business and you say, hey, how do I create something that's purpose-driven and really cool where every one of my stakeholders is thriving? That's a conscious business. The third attribute of a conscious business is that they, are, they have conscious leadership. 
conscious leadership. We're going to do a whole class on Leadership 101, um, and you are the leader of your business, which is why I say you are your business's number one asset, which is our next big idea. The fourth attribute is there's conscious culture, right? You're creating a culture that's committed to these ideals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are our four ideas of conscious capitalism, purpose-driven, multiple stakeholder orientation, conscious leadership, and conscious culture. All right, so a couple other ideas I want to hit on here. One, there's something called a B corporation, a B corporation, a benefit corporation, public benefit corporation. And I'm proud to be a benefit corporation. Our umbrella business is in Theos Enterprises Public Benefit Corporation. And what's really cool about a public benefit corporation is essentially they take everything I just said, all those, those, those high ideals and values, and we bake them into our corporate charter. The legal documents of our company say we have a fiduciary responsibility to honor each of those stakeholders. Literally, our, our charter says we are committed to changing the world as we optimize our relationship with each of our stakeholders. It's incredibly inspiring for me. And again, one of the reasons why we need to start here is if you have any ambivalence about capitalism, you need to address that. And you need to realize that it's a lot easier to criticize capitalism than to create something awesome. But there are a ton of businesses that have taken the heroic step to do the right thing and to use the neutral framework that is business in really, really, really positive ways. We need to study them, get fired up, see the limitations of it and how it can be used inappropriately, but also see the power of it and then step up and do great work. All right, our second big idea is your number one asset equals you. You are your business's greatest asset, period. If you are not actualizing your potential, there's no way your business is going to actualize its potential. This is obvious, but no one talks about that. There are very rare business books that are talking about the importance of the entrepreneur, the leader, and then of course the team actualizing their own potential in service to the business's potential. And whenever any of my friends come to me and say, hey, what do you think? And they're asking me strategic advice about what they're doing in a particular industry. I find that very interesting, but I never start there. I always go to, all right, how are you doing? How are your fundamentals? If you want to actualize your business, you need to start with the most basic fundamentals. Are you taking care of yourself? You eating? You moving? You sleeping? And they always want to go, no, no, yeah, but what about this? I say, no, 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 don't rush to that. Are you being the type of person that you need to be such that you can lead? We've got to know that there's a cap to our business's potential and it's dictated by who we are. And if you aren't doing the things to keep yourself plugged in, there's no way you're going to actualize what you want to do in the business context. One of our recent notes is a book called Legacy. Legacy is a book about the All Blacks rugby team. They are the national rugby team of New Zealand, right? They have an 86% winning record over the course of their professional history. To put it in perspective, the Golden State Warriors, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, the NBA team here in the States, just won 89% of their games. 73 wins, 89% winning record, right? Best ever. Well, the All Blacks have won 86% of their games over their entire span in their professional history. Pure dominance, crazy. And they went through a little rough spot. And as they recovered, one of the themes of their entire organization was better people equals better all blacks. They basically said, we need to help develop the character of our individuals. 
And if they're better human beings on and off the field, they will perform better on the field. Better people equals better all blacks. You as a better human being equals a better business. We gotta drill that in. Then we need to actually live those values. Train like you're a professional athlete. Act like you're the professional that you are. Make the most important meetings of your day be the things that support the cultivation of your most important asset, right? We don't do that. <clears throat> I know it's been hard for me to actually do that. It's way easier to shift our schedule around for this big meeting than it is to remember that my meditation is the most important meeting I'm gonna have every single day. Therefore, it's the first one I have non-negotiable, right? My good night of sleep is the most important thing I can possibly do for my business the next day. Therefore, I shut down at a certain time and I get a good night of sleep. Physical movement increases my creativity. Science is unequivocal about that. Therefore, I move every single day. You need to look at how you're approaching your life. Every single class we have in this Optimal Living series is about optimizing you, but I wanna emphasize the importance of this. Don't overlook the fact that you are your business's most important asset. All right, our third big idea is purpose plus mission. First big idea, conscious capitalism, optimal capitalism. The first hallmark of an optimal business is they are purpose-driven. In Purpose 101, I talked about the fact that we all have the same purpose, which is essentially to actualize our potential as individuals in service to the world. Well, the same thing holds true for business. The purpose of all businesses, from my perspective, is very, very simple. Make the world a better place. Use... Free market economies use the construct of business to make the world better. We all share that purpose. And if you are engaged in a business that isn't honoring that purpose, to be very direct, it's suboptimal. And the interesting thing here is the better you execute a suboptimal business, the less you're helping the world. So if you're doing things that aren't benefiting the world, you wanna check in on that and think about your mission that's going to serve that purpose. Now, so we all have the same basic purpose, again, from my perspective, but we all have unique missions. I talked about this again in Purpose 101. One purpose, many missions. What's your business's mission? The best way I know to discover that is to go straight to Jim Collins, the arguably the leading business thinker alive who tells us great businesses focus on the nexus point of three circles. One, they do what they love to do. Two, they do what they're great at. And three, they do what the world needs. Let's talk about those in a little more detail and do the work to actually journal this out. This is probably the thing I've journaled the most in trying to get at that nexus point of what is it that I truly love to do? I love it so much I would actually pay to do it. What is it for you that you really, really, really love to do? You're not going to create a great business doing something that you kind of sort of like. Not gonna happen. You're not gonna put in the energy necessary to do something truly great, which is what's required for the market to respond in such a positive way. You gotta love it. Your market needs to feel that love for it. The second attribute of these great businesses is they know what they can be truly great at. The standard of these truly great businesses is the best in the world. They say, I'm not gonna do anything unless I think I can be truly the best in the world at this. I love it. And I think I can be one of the best, if not the best, truly great at what I do. It's where my strengths as an individual and an organization line up with what I love to do and what the world needs. If we only have those two things, we have a hobby. 
We need to create the economic engine, is what Jim Collins calls it, the money. What need in the world are we gonna make, are we gonna meet, and how is the world going to pay us for that? That's not easy to figure out in a really, really sustainable way, right? Love, great, what's the world going to pay for? Those are the three aspects of a great business to help us identify our mission. And then we wanna take it one step further and see if we can actually distill that down into one sentence. So Dan Pink in Drive, phenomenal book on Motivation 3.0, he's talking about individuals and he shares a story that John F. Kennedy Jr. received from one of his mentors. She told him, hey, great individuals can be summarized in one sentence, right? So you had Abraham Lincoln, whose sentence was, he saved the union and freed the slaves. And uh, Roosevelt's sentence was, he led us out of the depression and won a world war. And she was telling John F. Kennedy, look, you're, you're trying to do too many things. You have a muddled paragraph. We need one sentence from you. We need one sentence from you. What is your mission in one sentence? Think about that. Have fun creating that. For me, with what we're doing with Entheos and with this Optimize program, it's very, very straightforward. We wanna help people optimize. That's my purpose that I write down every single morning. And our specific mission is to create the greatest collection of wisdom ever. The greatest collection of wisdom ever. And inspire a million people to join our program from a business perspective and a billion people around the world. In the next big idea, I'm gonna talk about our mission in one sentence, but for now, think about your nexus point of what you love to do, great, what the world needs, be willing to journal that again and again, come back to it. What is it that you and only you can do as an organization? Your purpose, help make the world a better place, your mission, how you're specifically going to do that. All right, our fourth big idea is future casting. 10X thinking, moonshots, and high-hanging fruit. So we've got a sense of optimal capitalism. We know we're the number one asset, purpose, and mission. Now, what's our vision? What is it we want to do? That's the essence of future casting. Shane Lopez is the world's leading researcher studying the science of hope. Hope is basically believing that your future is going to be better than your present. It's an extraordinarily important aspect of leadership. Great leaders start with why. Great leaders have a vision that's compelling for the people who are engaged in bringing that mission to fulfillment. Get this. If you have a leader who does not inspire hope, right? Does not create a sense that the future is going to be better than the present for his or her team, that team will be engaged 1% of the time. No hope, no engagement. 1% engagement from the team. But if the leader inspires hope that the future is going to be better than the present, they show them ways that they're going to achieve that. The engagement goes from 1% to 69%. 69% engagement among people whose leaders inspire hope. That's ridiculous. That's unbelievable when we really think about it. Hope creating a vision that inspires a sense of a better future is arguably the most important attribute of effective leadership. So the question is, are you creating a vision of your business's future that inspires all of your stakeholders? Starting with you, then of course your team, your partners, your investors, if you have them, etc., And your customers, of course. So let's talk about what that means. Future casting is the word for it. Shane Lopez says that future casting is the number one skill of creating hope. Future casting is basically looking forward five years 
and saying, this is what we're going to create. This is our target. If we work hard and everything goes well and we get a little lucky, that's what our future looks like. We really lean into that. We see it, we feel it, and we communicate it. And then we connect it, which we're gonna talk about in the next big idea, to a sense of agency that we can actually make that happen. And then we're willing to embark on multiple pathways, which we're gonna talk about again later. Knowing that our first path, plan A, is unlikely to be the path that actually works. Future casting. So my question for you is, what's your five-year vision? Write it out. In five years, what happens? You work hard, things come together, you get a little lucky. What does your future look like? See it, feel it, reflect on it, co-create it with your team, get them fired up about it. Future cast. And then while you're at it, think about 10Xing your thinking and think about making moonshots and think about high hanging fruit. So too often we have this vision of the future, right? And it's kind of paltry. It's kind of the low hanging fruit. Well, I'm gonna go for that. Right, but a lot of great thinkers say, you know what? 10X thinking, going for moonshots, going for high hanging fruit. If you've got this tree, right? As you can imagine, we'll have drawn in our workbook. You got this little tree and there's low hanging fruit. Most people are going for the low hanging fruit. But the people who go for the high hanging fruit, although it's technically more challenging to get the high hanging fruit, it's actually in some ways easier to get because everybody else is going after the low hanging fruit. And when you dare to dream, when you dare to 10X your thinking and to go for the moonshot, the nearly impossible, it challenges you to be at your best. And it inspires people around you to bet on you and to go for it together. Now I'm gonna talk about the importance of grounding this vision in reality in the next big idea. Because you can fly away and you're not gonna inspire anybody. But this vision of how you truly want to use your greatest gifts and greatest service to the world is really, really important. High hanging fruit. When I was raising money with my first business, E-Teams, I'm certain that as a 24, 23, 24-year-old entrepreneur, the fact that I was so passionately committed to having a million teams use our service in five years was a great catalyst to getting support. It was a high hanging fruit. When I started the business, no one was online. Literally, Yahoo directories had a few dozen random league websites out there. No one was doing anything, but I had a clear sense that in a matter of time, everyone would be online. And the vision I sold again and again and again was 1 million teams in five years. And when I first started selling that vision, by the way, as I've shared before, people told me I was insane. I had a very, very, very smart, guy who happened to be the chairman of a very, very, very large company, tell me to literally take another hit on that pipe. It was impossible, he said, I couldn't do it. All right, awesome, I'll take that for fuel. That big vision, the 10X thinking, the moonshot is huge. And again, you gotta execute, which we're gonna talk about, but that vision's important. And the, uh, the end of that story is we got to a million teams in four years, not in five years. We did the impossible in a shorter time frame than we thought possible. And now E-Teams serves three million teams around the world. The company that bought that business went public and all that good stuff. So that was E-Teams and then in Zods, it was the same thing. We wanted to use social networking as a tool to change the world. I unabashedly had that be the theme of what we wanted to do. That inspired people to get behind us. So think about your vision. You've got your five year future cast and think, does it really inspire you? Does it fire you up? And does it fire the people around you to be part of it? Now, within Theos and with this optimized program, our vision is very straightforward. 
We want to create the greatest collection of wisdom we possibly can. And we think if we do our job, we can create the greatest collection of wisdom ever that helps people optimize their lives. And I write down every single morning, greatest collection ever. Like first I write down my purpose is to help people optimize. Then I write down mission, greatest collection ever. And then I write down something that makes me a little nervous even to write down and I smile every time I do it. One million plus one billion. One million people in our membership program. We're gonna talk about our little domino strategy. A million people in our membership program supporting our business economically and a billion people that we've inspired. That's our high hanging fruit, our moonshot thinking that inspires me, it inspires our partners, it inspires uh, our team to go out and make a difference, to have a huge impact in the world. So think about yours and have fun with it. All right, so our fifth big idea is barbells and climbing whoop ladders. Barbells, climbing whoop ladders, not wooden ladders or wood ladders, but whoop ladders, right? So let's start with barbells. We get strong when we connect our vision of what can happen with reality. Nassim Taleb in Anti-Fragile calls it the barbell strategy, where we are simultaneously super aggressive, going for it, and super conservative. Imagine that as a barbell with weights on either end. Super aggressive, super conservative. Me in the old days, I was really, really good at being super aggressive, going for it. The gray whiskers have come in as I've realized I need to simultaneously be super conservative. What does that mean? It means that a business needs to make money. As an entrepreneur in the late 90s, 24, 25-year-old entrepreneur less, it was all about the big vision and very little about the actual mechanics of how a business was going to work. Now, thankfully, at the end of the day, our business made sense and we were able to turn a profit after we sold the business, but we didn't put enough emphasis into that early on. Made the same mistake to a different degree with my second business. Now, I'm all about that solid base. You don't have a business unless you're serving a customer who pays you. So as you have this big, exciting, high-hanging fruit, moonshot vision, you need to also figure out how you're going to create something that's cool enough that enough people are going to pay you for it that you make money. So we want to get strong lifting that barbell of aggressive and conservative, and then we want to climb the whoop ladder. So imagine that high-hanging fruit, right? It's way up there. You need a really tall ladder to get there. Well, you need to create that ladder. And you're not going to create it in one fell swoop. You're not going to figure out every single step in the process that's going to take you to that high-hanging fruit. But you need to know you're going to create that, right? And then you need to figure out your next step. So one of the things I talked about in Greatest Year Ever, which I recorded months ago now, before the beginning of this year, I'm recording this in springtime. We'll release it in summer. I said that when I rebooted our business, so we had a million dollars of revenue in our old model, took that down to zero. And then I ruthlessly lined up our ladder of how are we going to get to that high hanging fruit, right? Of inspiring a million people. How are we going to do that? Well, it started with one person. Our ladder was created one step at a time. And I said, we got to figure out how we're going to create one customer. How are we going to serve one person enough that they're willing to give us 10 bucks. And that's all we cared about for our first milestone. And the idea was that if we can get one person to pay us $10 a month, we can get 10 people. And if we can get 10 people, we can get 100 people. And if we can get 100 people, we can get 1,000 people. And if we can get 1,000 people, we can get 10,000 people. Now, if we can get 10,000 people, I think we can get 100,000 people. 
Hard, but we can do it. And if we can get 100,000 people, we have a shot at getting a million people. That was the, the little staircase ladder to our high-hanging fruit. And then all we cared about, Evan, my right-hand guy who I'm gonna talk about more in the future, brilliant operator who gets things done, all we said was, what do we need to do to get one person to join our membership program? That's all we cared about. And we're gonna talk about this in the Ready, Fire, Aim, the mechanics of that. But that's what we need to do. We need to line up our dominoes. We need to see what the next most essential critical domino is that needs to fall, the next step on our ladder, and go ruthlessly focus on knocking it over. So as you have this high-hanging fruit in your little ladder, think about what your progression looks like. Remember the dominoes metaphor, the physics of domino. If you line up dominoes, and you can start with a tiny, tiny, tiny domino, like one person paying $10 a month. And in the, in the YouTube video I always talk about, search YouTube physics dominoes for this one. This awesome professor of physics has tweezers and he takes this tweezer with this tiny little domino that's like the size of your little pinky nail and he lines it up. And the next one next to that is 50% bigger. It's still tiny. The one after that is 50% bigger than the preceding domino and then 50% bigger, 50% bigger. I think it's 13 dominoes later right? It's a three foot tall, I don't know, 50 pound or something like that domino. Started with the tweezers and then three feet tall, 50 pounds. And what he does is he knocks over that little tweezer thing. And sure enough, a domino can knock over the next domino that's 50% larger than it. Not 60 or 70 or 100, but 50. And he goes, boop, 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 knocks over the last domino. Two billion times more force is created between the last domino and the one before it, and the first domino in the second one. Two billion times more force. All of this by focusing on the next baby step, the next little domino. That's how we connect our huge vision with our conservative reality and then take baby steps. And then remember to celebrate the progress. There's nothing more important in a business than creating progress. And if you leave yourself hanging, no pun intended, with this high hanging fruit, and you see this huge gap, that's not gonna feel good, you're gonna give up. So find ways to make progress daily and celebrate that as you line up and knock down your dominoes and climb up the WHOOP ladder, which brings us to WHOOP. What is WHOOP? You may remember the science of positive thinking, Gabriel Oettingen. Awesome idea, we haven't talked about it in a little while, it's time to bring it back. Dust it off the shelf. We have our wish, right? This huge vision. We know the outcome, what benefits we're going to experience from this huge vision. Then what do we do? We barbell it, we rub it up against reality, and we see the obstacles, wish, outcome, and then obstacles. What's gonna get in the way of us achieving this big vision? And then we create a plan. If, then, plan, whoop. We need to do that constantly. On the big side of things, when you think of your big vision, Think about it, get clear on the outcomes, the benefits you're going to experience, and then think of the obstacles. What's gonna get in the way of you achieving that big moonshot goal? And then what's your plan to deal with those obstacles? That is barbells plus climbing the whoop ladder. All right, so a little PS here with our progress. So I talk about the uh, dominoes all the time, right? One, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, then 100,000 and a million. So in greatest year ever, I said that my number one goal in 2016 was to get to 10,000 members. At the time, we didn't have very many. <laughs> well, we're now at almost 7,000. We'll hit that this week. I'm recording it mid-April. I made that uh, kind of goal in mid-December, say, 
and we're 70% there, 7,000. We'll hit our 10,000 this year and we're so excited because we've made those little bets. We can parlay those little wins and the momentum we're gaining, the dominoes are falling and we're getting more energy with each one. We can take that free cash flow, we're now profitable, and make this content even better. Constantly finding ways to increase the quality of our content and then make the user experience better. Our website, we're launching an app we're really excited about. Starting iOS and going to Android, we're really, really excited. And we're focused on what do we need to do to get 10,000, not 100,000 or million, 10,000. Um, so anyway, that's a fun little update for us. Thanks for all your support. And I'm excited to continue to make this even more awesome for you. Which leads us to our sixth big idea, which is probably my favorite, astonish spice. Astonish. The word literally means to strike with lightning. To astonish, to strike with lightning. That's what I aspire to do with everything that I do. And we wanna combine that with spice. Remember our multiple stakeholder orientation, society, partners, investors, customers, employees. As you look at your business, Think about whether you're aiming for satisfaction, right? Most businesses, the kind of non-optimal, suboptimal, let's just make sure we satisfy our customers, right? And, and our other stakeholders, if they're even thinking about the other stakeholders explicitly. But satisfy, really? That's the ultimate potential of what we can do? How about astonish? Aim to astonish every single person you interact with. That's exhilarating. Again, that's what fires people up to be engaged, a goal worthy of them that requires mastery, requires engagement. So think about how you're approaching things. Is it, I wanna satisfy, I'm gonna do the bare minimum to satisfy, or am I gonna do as much as I possibly can to astonish? Champions do more. We hear this all the time. I just happened to watch a talk by Bo Eason, former professional uh, football player, one of our members recommended I check out one of his talks, which was fantastic. Thank you again, Ramiro. And, uh, but he's awesome, right? He's talking about how he played on the Oilers and he went to the 49ers. And he was the kind of guy, Bo Eason, who before every single practice, he was the first one there. He was always the first person on the practice field and the last one off. He made that commitment to himself when he was a kid and he kept it up for 20 years. And then he went to the 49ers and the 49ers had Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is arguably the greatest football player ever, ever, right? More receptions, touchdowns, all these things than you can possibly imagine. So anyway, our friend Bo Eason goes to the field on his first day, training day with the 49ers early, earlier than anybody else, right? Except Jerry Rice was already there hustling. He tells a story about how when he played, he went all in every single play. Everybody else is kind of sort of going through the motions. Jerry Rice is busting it every single play. We want to astonish. We want to show up and do our best moment to moment to moment. But let's go back to our stakeholders. Society, partners, investors, customers, and employees. And walk through it. In our workbook, we'll have space for you to actually think about it. How are you committed to astonishing society with your business? What is it? For us, we help people optimize. We wanna change the world. We wanna inspire the world to optimize and actualize. That's how we serve society. Then there's partners. How does your business aim to astonish your partners? In our business, in creating philosopher's notes and these uh, classes, our partners are really the authors and publishers and we have some other partners, but those are the two primary ones. I wanna astonish authors and their publishers. I wanna help them get their wisdom out. I wanna amplify their wisdom 
help them sell books and get their business growing and their brand growing because I love what they're up to. And I explicitly want to astonish them. And I'm blessed to get feedback of appreciation from them all the time on that front. How do you aim to astonish your partners? Then there's investors. How do you plan to, and are you committed to astonishing your investors? For me, it's very simple. I want their investment in me, in our business, to be the best investment they've ever made, period. And we're blessed to have some sophisticated investors from leading venture capitalists, the former CEO of AOL, uh, amazing, extraordinary human being who used to run one of Fidelity's largest funds, uh, Catherine Collins, check her out. She wrote a great book called The Nature of Investing, which is awesome, huge supporter, huge inspiration. And she's made some very good investments in her time. And my commitment is I want to astonish her with a greater return than she's ever had in any of her, of her investments, not just financially, but impact-wise. That's how I show up on the I, the C, customers. This is probably my favorite stakeholder group. How are you and your business committed to astonishing your customers? That's exciting. What can you do to truly astonish everyone with whom you're blessed to interact? For me, it's, that's the explicit commitment. I've got lightning bolts written everywhere in my office, and that's what I'm thinking about when I, when I really look at that. It's how do I astonish with the level of content provided for free and then even more for our members? And Charles Ames, the, the great designer, has a great quote. He says, let's give the best to the most for the least. That's what I want to do. Give the best to the most for the least. That's exhilarating to be able to bring this wisdom and to do my best to create the best wisdom I possibly can and charge the least for it and create that value and astonish. That's exhilarating. Think about how you're astonishing your customers and then our employees, our team is the E in spice. What are you doing to astonish your team? Your team is not made up of cogs in a wheel. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in a great book called Good Business, where he talks about how to apply flow to work, says, look, the unconscious suboptimal business, he doesn't use those words, but the basic idea views their team as simply cogs in a wheel. I need this done, I'll plug that person in to do it. The conscious business, the optimal business, the good business, as he describes it, sees every human being as an individual who's passionate about optimizing and actualizing their potential. Do you view your team that way? Think about it. Now, how do you create the, context, the context where that's what you're all about? You wanna make it possible for your team members to express the highest within them. That's why your business exists in part, is to astonish them with your commitment to their awesomeness. Fires me up. I mentioned Evan, who's uh, my right-hand guy, our genius ninja who does all this stuff and he's leading his team using these ideas. That's what I wanna do for him. I wanna help him reach his highest potential. Every single person on our team, that's the orientation through which I strive to approach our relationship. Spice, think about how you can optimize each of those relationships and then aim for astonishment, not just satisfaction. Imagine shaking astonishment spice all over your stakeholders. All right, so another little PS here. I wanna take a moment to talk about product vis-a-vis -vis marketing. So when we talk about serving our customers, which is obviously extraordinarily important and astonishing as a new uh, aspirational goal or perhaps just a, a more deeply confirmed goal, we wanna remember our product is our business. A couple of fun stories for it. I mentioned the Golden State Warriors, the NBA basketball team that just won 73 games in one season. 
You know what their season ticket holder retention rate was? What percentage of their season ticket holders do you think renewed? 99.5% of their season ticket holders renewed their, 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 uh, their tickets. They have a waiting list of 20,000 people who want to have the opportunity to buy their product. Why is that? Because their product is really, really good. It's the best in the world. It's arguably the best ever in their domain, right? Now, juxtapose that with another, or complement that with another story of a Bay Area sports team, the 49ers. When Bill Walsh took over the 49ers, they sucked. They were arguably the worst team in professional sports, any sport, right? And he tried to, the seats were empty and he tried to do some creative, clever little marketing plan to fill up the seats and it didn't work. No one wants to see a bad team play. So then he decided the way he was gonna fill the seats was to win. When he won a Super Bowl, all those seats were filled. When he run, ran the little marketing gimmicks, didn't quite work. And too many people are focusing too much of their energy, in my opinion, on the marketing side of things. We need to spend as much time as we can on the product side of things and let that be our marketing. We could be growing a lot faster as a business if I put all my energy into marketing what we have. We have something pretty cool right now. I'm excited about that, I'm proud of that, but it's not where I want it to be. And what I wanna do is create something that has long-term value. And that's only created by investing as much energy as possible in creating the most astonishingly awesome product we possibly can. So measure your marketing vis-a-vis -vis product development efforts and make sure your product is as awesome as it can possibly be and you will fill up the seats. All right, so our seventh big idea is ready, fire, aim, and ship. Ready, fire, aim. So I mentioned this in the uh, barbells and climbing whoop ladders idea that we need to be conservative while we're being aggressive. We need to do the next thing. Ready, fire, aim. Too often, particularly if you're like me, you're a perfectionist, you have this ready, 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 ready. No, 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 I'm not quite ready. Ready, 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 ready. Ah, I don't think I'm ready, right? And as I said, John Mackey inspired me with a ready, fire, aim approach. Ready, fire, aim. What does that mean? It means you have a target and you shoot at it. And when you shoot, you either hit the target or the bullseye or you miss, but you get data. And when we approach our lives and our businesses, as an experimenter, and we have a learning organization, we strive to do our best, but we know we're never gonna be perfect, and we get to market, and then we see what's working and what's not, right? You cannot think your way to clarity. You've gotta put yourself out there in order to learn what's working and what's not. So the popular phrase going around these days is minimum viable product, MVP, right? Lean startup model style. What do you need to do? What's the minimum viable product that you need to get to market with in order to get data? That's what you want to focus on. A funny example, when I was running my first business, E-Teams, uh, at the end of that tenure, I read a book by Guy Kawasaki, great thinker, a former evangelist at Apple, right? And he says you need to think crappy and then you need to churn. He wrote a great book called Rules for Revolutionaries. It's old school, but it's awesome. Think crappy and then churn. In other words, get to market with a minimum viable product. And a fun example, with E-Teams, we had no money, literally no money. I ate, back in those days, Taco Bell was a feast for me. It was cans of tuna, literally, chicken pot pies, <laughs> that sort of thing, a dollar a meal, as I was rubbing nickels together to try and make our business work. Uh, in my pajamas, in our living room with my co-founder, 
That was our business, right? We had no resources, but we were working hard and we were trying to figure out what our customers wanted. And we shipped stuff and then we learned and then we evolved. And we're gonna talk about it a little bit more and how we pivoted. But basically we were trying to figure out what customers really wanted. And we couldn't afford to dream of exciting things. We just had to do what we needed to do. Now again, we had those big dreams. We couldn't afford to stay in the lab trying to perfect it. We had to actually get to market and make it work now. In the process, we learned that our market didn't really want what we thought they wanted. We thought they wanted, again, eTeams was for teams and leagues, right? Imagine 1998, no smartphones, very little people really even using the web in, a, in an intense way. And we wanted to create a really cool league experience where you can do everything, register your kids and, and check out everything. But it was really hard to sell to leagues. I was literally on the phone trying to sell to a league, but it was run by volunteers on a board who had other more important things to do. But then we realized the really active head coaches, the ones who wear cleats, you know, and have the clipboard and even a headband and a hat and all that kind of thing, right? They were really into it. And what they wanted wasn't the full league stuff that they couldn't sell to their, their colleagues, but they just wanted a really cool team website that they can put pictures on that grandma and grandpa could check out. And that was what they really, really wanted. So we made a big pivot in our business and gave them that. And one of our competitors who had raised a ton more than we did, created what they called, once they acquired us, we talked about it and they used our technology. What they tried to build, he called the Death Star. The Death Star, they had money, they had raised millions of dollars from venture capitalists, and they were really smart, former consultants, MBAs, all this stuff, and they knew exactly what they wanted to build, and they spent all their time building and building and building and building and building and building and building, and then once they tried to launch it, they realized, well, people weren't ready for that. Whereas we, rubbing nickels together, iterated, we thought crappy, and we launched, and then we churned and got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, 4%, et cetera. Ready, fire, aim. John Mackey inspired me with this, as I mentioned in the uh, earlier idea, when I interviewed him, he said he prefers fire ready aim. He's all about learning, decentralizing the decisions and letting the local stores make decisions and learn and get better. That's how we want to approach things. Now, of course, there are some situations where fire ready aim and ready fire aim aren't appropriate. I don't want my airplane pilot doing that or my surgeon doing that. But for you and I, for most of the things we're up to, we can afford to do a little bit more experimentation get feedback from our market, the customers, our partners, et cetera, and get a little bit better step by step by step. All right, we've got another PS. We're on a roll with these PSs today. Imagine our high-hanging fruit tree, right? We talked about the metaphor of the ladder. You don't build that ladder all in one piece. That's the Death Star, friends, right? We gotta build the whole ladder perfectly to get that piece of fruit. It's just not how it works. You have a vision and an idea of what you wanna do, but then what do you do? You build the first step. And then you build the next one and you're constantly building it as you go. Again, you have a sense of where you think you might go, but you know that that's not quite how it's going to go. Take the next step, make progress, ready, fire, aim. All right, our eighth big idea is plan B, C, D, E, F, all the way through the alphabet if that's what it takes. As I've said again and again and again, too often we think that plan A is the plan that needs to work. Now, of course, we want plan A to work. We're working hard to see what plan A should be and we're going out and executing it, but we need to know that plan A almost never works. Uh, Randy Komazar, one of the world's leading entrepreneurs and investors, said, actually wrote a book called Getting to Plan B. 
Again, one of the leading venture capitalists in the world, getting to plan B. He knows, and he tells us, the sooner we learn the fact that if you're right 30% of the time, you're Hall of Fame material. Just like baseball players don't go up and think that they're gonna have a 900 batting average, that's insane. It's impossible. The best ever barely cracked 400, right? 300 is awesome. If you're right 30% of the time, congratulations. That's extraordinary. You need to know that going in and you got to know that investors aren't investing in your plan per se. Of course, they want a well thought out, intelligent plan. And they know that that's likely not going to be what actually happens. Randy Komazar talks about PayPal, Google, fill in your favorite business. None of them are actually what they thought they were going to be on day one, period, right? Embrace that, know that. Know that investors are investing in grit, which is our next big idea. They wanna see the tenacity from the entrepreneur, the ability to get knocked down and to get back up. One of my favorite personal stories on this theme still blows me away. When I was journaling this, it literally got me misty feeling the power of this realization. Uh, rewind 10 plus years ago, I'm running Zods. I've raised a little bit of money uh, and uh, over a million or something like that. And a billionaire and his family have invested. And this gentleman who's done extraordinary things is introducing me to some of his friends in Aspen, right? And uh, basically the, the context is, maybe you want to invest in Brian's business, right? So I've invested and, and maybe you want to. So he has his friends over and I'm gonna give a little talk, right? And he says, okay, kind of you know, makes the introduction. And this is all he says. He stands up and he says, this is Brian. I've invested in him because he knows how to get knocked down and get bloodied and get back up. Brian, tell us about your business. <laughs> Gives me goosebumps I say that right now. It was at the time a little weird. I'm like, really? Like, that's the introduction? And as I've reflected on it in the years since, this is a guy who's created over a billion dollars of personal value and all the other value he's created in the world, very successful in an entrepreneurial uh, sense, in other senses, but in an entrepreneurial sense. And that was the one thing that he wanted to tell his friends about me, was that I knew how to get knocked down and to get back up. And as I've reflected on that more, that's what I'm most proud of, is to be able to go from plan A to plan B to plan C, hopefully with a little bit more grace and a little bit more mojo, we're gonna talk about it in, uh, in our final big idea on the hero's journey, right? It's not supposed to be easy. An entrepreneur is one who takes risk. We've gotta discipline ourselves to know that and then be willing to do what it takes to move from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, to quote Winston Churchill. One other fun idea here, as I was pivoting on uh, Entheos, our current business, um, I had an opportunity to, to connect with and to chat with Doug Rao. Doug Rao is the former president of Trader Joe's. And at the time, he was the CEO of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. I'm not sure if he still is, but he was the interim CEO of Conscious Capitalism. And we had been talking about working together and doing a partnership with some of our stuff, which I was very excited about. But I was also clear that we needed to shift some things. And he and I spent a couple hours in his son's backyard, uh, as I was making that decision. And he shared some wisdom with me in that conversation and prior conversations that is absolutely what we're talking about here and has transformed my sense of life and business. And he said that Trader Joe's failed its way to success. It failed its way to success. 
Now, of course, they didn't try to fail. They tried to do the right thing and they were trying to be smart about it, but they made mistake after mistake after mistake. And it was those mistakes and the wisdom gained compounded over time that led to their success. And he says, too few businesses are willing to share their failures and they kind of pretend like it was just a straight line up. It's not, never a straight line up, right? And it's not even a zigzag. I often talk about zigzags. It's not even a zigzag, right? That's nice. That implies that it's actually going up and to the right, at least in some level, right? It's often a moving up and then down and then where am I going? <laughs> I'm off the chart. Oh no, where's it going? It's not a fun process. But the more we embrace the fact that this is how it works, great businesses pivot, we need to evolve our strategy the more uh, likely it is we're not gonna give up and, and fall into despair and think something's wrong with us as we experience those challenges. So I'm not pretending that it's fun, but it's important to embrace. And uh, remember, plan B, plan C, plan D. Plan A fails, you have 25 other letters. Go start working it. All right, so our ninth big idea is attention plus your number one deep work project. We've talked about a lot of high level stuff, theoretical framework of capitalism drilled down into your purpose and mission and, and having a simultaneously aggressive and conservative strategy, etc. Now it's nuts and bolts time. When we talk about the fact, and I do believe it is a fact, that you are your business's number one asset, we need to look at what facet of you is the most important attribute. What's your guess? What do you think is your most important attribute? the subject of this idea might have given it away. It's your attention. All scientists tell us this. I repeat myself again and again in these classes. Your attention is your most valuable asset. Can you put your mind, your attention, where you want, when you want? Because if you can't, none of these ideas matter. Then you get drowned in being overwhelmed and fear and all of this stuff and distracted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Knowing that our attention is that important, we need to protect it. We need to do everything we can to protect it and to cultivate it. And the reality is, is that today, everyone is being bombarded with so much stimuli, right? We're constantly getting push notifications and all these different things. We're on all the time. And we tend to do what Cal Newport calls shallow work. And we wanna remember his really, really, really important point that doing deep work, shutting off all those distractions, is simultaneously rarer, fewer and fewer people are doing it, and at the same time, it's more valuable. It's become more rare and more valuable to do truly deep work. Now, from a business perspective, I don't think about competition. It's not really how I view the world. I'm excited to create and give my gifts to the world, which is a whole nother idea. Create, don't compete. But when you think about it from a strategic differentiation perspective, you want to do the things that are simultaneously rarer and more valuable. You want to do more deep work. You want to get your mind right. You want to take the time to invest in training your mind. If in sports, it's 90% mental. In business, it's 90% mental. So the question is, are you cultivating your attention? Are you meditating? Are you training your mind throughout the day? And are you limiting the amount of stimulation you have? Because you can't think deeply and have truly creative thoughts if you're constantly flying away in Shallowville and bombarding your mind with stimulation. It's crazy to me, anytime I step out of what I say and I allow myself to get too into news or politics or sports, I wake up in the morning thinking about that stuff. 
that's not what I wanna wake up in the morning thinking about. I wanna to go to sleep at night thinking about what I've determined is important to me. Not having all these things bubble up in my consciousness, right? And then I wake up in the morning with ideas and feeling refreshed. Think about whether you're bombarding your attention too much and if you need to create some protective means via you and your technology. And remember, as a side note, the iPhone effect. We know that the iPhone, if you simply have it out when you're in a meeting, or hanging out with a colleague or a business partner or a prospective client or whatever, simply having it out. Let's say you're at lunch and you have it out. You're not using it. You're polite enough not to use it, right? Maybe you're even polite enough to actually put it in airplane mode, not let it blow up. And hopefully you're not the guy or gal who, when he gets a text, immediately needs to look at it and respond. That's a great way to diminish connection. Research is unequivocal. If you want to diminish connection, keep your iPhone out. Science says that it does that. It reduces empathy in connections. So get rid of it. And then also know that if you're constantly hunched over your iPhone, you're diminishing your personal power. Amy Cuddy talks about this in Presence. They've done research, literally in people in a lab. And they've looked at them and they've assigned them to uh, look at an iPhone, something on an iPhone, or an iPad, or a notebook computer, or a large screen. Long story short, the ones on the iPhone had a diminished physiological markers of power, right? It's not what we wanna do. We wanna use our technology wisely, protect our attention such that we can put it on what matters, which leads us to the final aspect of this idea, do more deep work and specifically, look at your high hanging fruit. Know what your number one goal is for the five year vision you have. You future cast it, right? You know your one sentence, you know what's most important to you. Connect that all the way back to today and ask yourself, what's the number one thing I can do today that would most positively benefit me in pursuit of that high hanging fruit? Hold that dynamic tension between your ideal and your current reality and take the next step on that little ladder you're building. Do that deep work before you do anything else. In Creativity 101, we compared creative versus reactive. Same exact letters, very different effect. Don't hop online immediately. Look at your AM bookend, right? Your AM slot where you have the most control over your calendar and see if you can discipline yourself to do the most important thing you need to do creatively before you jump online reactively. If you only did one thing practically out of this class and it was that, you did your number one most important creative task that supports your big vision, every single day, I guarantee you, you will take huge strides in the actualization of your business's potential. So in sum, what's your number one goal that most fires you up? Check out our workbook, write this down. Your number one goal that fires you up, future casted five-year vision. What's your number one thing you need to do today that supports that? Do that in your deep work time block before you blow your consciousness up. We talk about this a lot in Masterpiece Days as well. We actually have a sheet you can use on a daily basis that helps you do exactly that. Connect to that big vision today, again and again and again. Hashtag repeat. That's what I love to write to myself when I'm reminding myself of this wisdom. Do it again and again and again and again and again. See the results compounded over time. All right, our 10th big idea is grit plus your hero's journey. Grit. That is ultimately the most important quality we need to have as aspiring and actualizing entrepreneurs. The technical definition of grit is intense passion. Really, 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 really wanting something. 
got to be willing to be all in and intense persistence. You've got to know that you're not going to snap your fingers and make it happen. That mastery is a process that takes time, often 10 years of time. If you're willing to persist or more, if you're willing to persist over that period of time with intense passion that's sustained consistently over the long run, you have a shot. We have a shot at doing what we're here to do. And I think the hero's journey metaphor perfectly captures it. The hero, the one who takes risk, Remember, that's what the word entrepreneur comes from, the one who takes risk. So in our context, in the 21st century, business is the dominant platform. Whether you like it or not, free markets are are what's happening. So if we want to be heroes in modern society, I think we need to be willing to take the risk, to step into our dharma, to step into our highest purpose, our highest calling, and do the hard work of figuring out how we're going to give our greatest gifts in greatest service to the world and get paid to do it. And it's not easy. And the moment we quit thinking it's supposed to be easy, we can embrace the process a heck of a lot more. When things go wrong, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because you chose to do something great. And as I say all the time, the hero does not sidestep lizards on their hero's journey. That's not an interesting story. They sidestep, they don't sidestep, they confront and battle dragons. That's ultimately what this is all about. For me, it's a very spiritual process to show up and to figure out how I'm going to create something meaningful with my life. So I challenge you to do the same. You are a hero. The world needs your gifts. Give them as fully as you can. Let's embrace the hero's journey and cultivate our grit. Well, there you go. A quick look at Optimal Business 101, how to create a cool business, a great business, and get paid to change the world. As you can tell, I'm fired up about this subject. I appreciate you sticking around this long. We kicked it off with an introduction, more on my story. I hope you enjoyed that and I hope that it was helpful in this context. I'm proud of these gray whiskers and hopefully there's been some wisdom gleaned that came through in this class. We talked about 10 big ideas. The first big idea was optimal capitalism. Optimal capitalism. Let's let's look at the framework in which we're operating here, right? And let's see it with an observer perspective and see that sometimes it's not being used, this neutral framework that is capitalism. It's not inherently good or bad, it's neutral, right? Sometimes it's used suboptimally, sometimes it's used optimally. We need to step in and use it optimally, use it consciously, as John Mackey and Raj Sisodia described for us. The four elements, we're purpose-driven, we have a multiple stakeholder orientation, we're committed to conscious leadership and creating a conscious culture. That's how we want to roll as we create our optimal business. The second big idea was your number one asset, which is you. You are your business's number one asset, period. Your business will never actualize its potential if you're not. How is that possible? It's not possible. You need to recognize that you're the most valuable asset and then make that asset even more valuable. Do the little things. Prioritize your meetings with yourself as the most important meetings in your day. Eat, move, sleep, train your mind. Approach it like a professional athlete would as you manage your energy from day to day to day to day to day. Our third big idea was purpose plus mission. Purpose plus mission. So great businesses are purpose-driven, optimal conscious businesses, purpose-driven. I made the case for the fact that I think all businesses have the same purpose, which is to make the world a better place. If our businesses aren't making the world a better place, what are we doing it for? 
And again, the better we are at running a suboptimal business, the worse it is for the world. That's not a winning equation. Step back, take an inventory, confirm that your purpose is actually aligned with making a difference in the world, and then identify your specific mission. The hedgehog concept of Jim Collins is a great tool. What do you love? What are you great at? What does the world need? It's not easy to figure that out, but that's what we need to do, purpose and mission. All right, then we had our fourth big idea and our fifth big idea, which went together. Future casting, 10X your thinking, moonshot thinking, and high-hanging fruit. And we had our barbells and climbing the whoop ladder. We wanna simultaneously be super aggressive, super passionate, super visionary, and super conservative and see the things that could go wrong as we take the next baby step. So remember that future casting is the number one skill of creating hope. And hope is arguably the number one skill of an effective leader. Remember our engagement numbers. If you're not creating hope, a sense of a better future, your team is going to be engaged 1% of the time. That's not conscious leadership. By creating a deep sense of why and a deep sense of meaning and a vision for the future by future casting, and sharing that with your team again and again and again, and co-creating it with your team, engagement goes to 69%. Hope is essential. We need a future cast. And then we wanna have high hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit, everyone's going for that. Technically more challenging, but the rewards are awesome and it catalyzes energy. So think about your five-year vision. Everything goes great. What's it look like? Feel into that and be willing to stretch. And then stretch that back to current reality. Lift your barbells, get strong, simultaneously aggressive and conservative, anti-fragile style, and then build your whoop ladder, right? See what you want, why it's so awesome, and then see the obstacles that are gonna get in the way. We need to rub our visions up against reality and then climb the ladder one step at a time. Number six was our Astonish Spice. Remember, we wanna sprinkle our Astonish Spice to strike with lightning, each of our stakeholders. How are you and your business going to astonish society, your partners, your investors, your customers, and your team, your employees? Spice, sprinkle it liberally. Number seven, ready, fire, aim. Not ready, 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 aim, 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 not quite ready, right? No, no, it's not quite there. I'm gonna go figure it out. Maybe I'll get a different different rifle. No, that's not how it works. Ready, fire, aim. Only by engaging with the world and with the market can we see what's working, what's not. Create a minimum viable product, ship, and then churn. Iterate, get a little bit better day in and day out. Ready, fire, aim. Number eight, plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. And number nine, our attention plus number one, deep work. Protect your attention. That is the most important facet of your number one asset. Everyone else is, is just paper cutting themselves with distraction and with shallow work. Go deep, simultaneously more valuable and rarer, that's a good opportunity for you to differentiate yourself, protect your attention, cultivate it, nurture it, and then figure out, you got your five-year vision, what today do you need to do to move you in that direction? Do that before you do anything else. Creative versus reactive. Our 10th big idea, grit plus your hero's journey. Remember, grit equals intense passion plus intense persistence. You need to be willing to activate yourself. Intense passion. You don't get that at 100 degrees. You wanna boil water, it's 212 degrees. 
Remember our activation energy from Confidence 101. You wanna have a true sense of trust in yourself, be willing to go all in, and know that it's gonna take a long time. Intense passion, intense persistence. Remember, entrepreneur is one who takes risk. Be willing to engage in your hero's journey. The world needs you now more than ever. And I look forward to hearing your wonderful stories in the process. Thank you for being here and thank you for all of your support in making my life possible. I thank you every single day with deep gratitude and a commitment to giving back as much as I possibly can. I appreciate you. Have another awesome day. Let's change the world. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.